Welcome from the War Room to the Boardroom. This is uh, episode four, season two. Today we have my guest, the Honorable Adrian Perkins, J.E. He'll be talking about his transition from being an artillery battery commander into the Harvard Law School and then on to politics. So, the Honorable Adrian Perkins, he's a private equity partner, teaching fellow at the University of Chicago. He's also a board member for service to school. He's on HLS's visiting committee, part of the United States Conference of Mayors, and on the Federal Trade Communications Board. He served as both a field artillery officer in combat and in garrison. He's a graduate of West Point and class president of 2008. And he's also a graduate of Harvard Law School, where he's a part of both Harvard Law Business Review and a Pat Tillman Scholar. So for the delay, Adrian Perkins, the Honorable Adrian Perkins. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Excited to be on. And congratulations to you on season two. I'm, I'm glad to be here. This will be, be cool. Always good to, you know, talk to some amazing people doing amazing things. And I'm going to so try to meet that bar. We'll see what happens. <laughs> our listeners who don't know you, can you tell them about yourself, where you came from, how did you end up, I guess, where, where you came from, and how, how yeah, you got no. this journey started? Yeah, for sure. I am from Shreveport, Louisiana, where I proudly am sitting today. Was born and raised right here, but in another neighborhood not too far away called Cedar Grove. It's a predominantly black neighborhood, but also, unfortunately, one of the lower income neighborhoods of the city. I was raised by a single mother. My father left the family when I was three years old. Uh, She raised me and my two older brothers in that neighborhood. We did not have much as far as material resources go. Plenty of nights when didn't have enough food. Uh, It was a very unsafe neighborhood. I remember sleeping under the bed because I was hearing gunfire so often as like a four or five year old. Uh, But my mom made up for that lack of resources with the values that she gave us, fortunately. And I was able to leverage those values of hard work and value and education and persistence to, you know, accomplish some of the things you mentioned. Oh, great start. Based on that, what drew me from Shreveport? What drew me from Shreveport to West Point? Yes. Yes. What drew me from Shreveport to West Point was 9-11. I was a preseason All-American in track and field. I was All-State two or three years highly recruited in track. And I thought I was going to go to LSU. That was my plan. My mom has a saying. She says, if you want to tell God a joke, tell him your plan. Unfortunately, uh, the United States was attacked on September 11th, my junior year in high school. And I remember going home that day after watching the fear on my teacher's face, my classmates' faces, my family in the community, looking at that uncertainty and making the decision uh, that I would consider West Point more seriously and eventually decided on West Point over going to LSU. That's a big change. The big and change. Did anyone in your family serve before that, or I guess was that back? Yeah, actually, actually, it's it's not something we talk about a lot, but yeah, my my family actually has quite a few people that serve. My grandfather served in the Korean War. My oldest brother retired a master sergeant after 24 years in the military. My first cousin is a uh, sergeant first class right now in the military. And my uncle served in the National Guard for, I think, like 10 plus years. So, yeah, Ma, uh, there's various people in my family that has served in the military. And so based on their careers or their time spent, were you looking at it as a vehicle? Were you looking at it as a career? Let, let, let me let me tell you something for all you uh, amazing young people out there that have your life mapped out when you when you're 15, 16 years old. Congratulations to you. That was that was not me. 
I was looking at it as, as one step at a time. West Point was the means in which I would be able to defend our country, given the 9-11 attacks. And I heard it was a pretty good education. So that's the reason why I decided to go to West Point. It was just more so focused on the preparation of becoming an officer and protecting the, the United States. And where are you now? So, you know, you've served, you've, you've gone to this amazing law school, you've been a mayor of the city that you grew up in. What do you have yeah, well, I'll tell you, I am sitting in Shreveport, Louisiana right now. I am, I'm 38, having done the things that you pointed out. And it's pretty interesting to find yourself in your post-mayoral career at such a young age. But right now, I uh, this year, for instance, I taught at the University of Chicago on a fellowship, the Pritzker Fellowship. I'm currently on a uh, research fellowship at Stanford University. And I am a partner, as you pointed out, of a private equity firm uh, based out of Chicago. So I got a couple of different hats in the air. And as and, and right before this call, I was in New Orleans. I had a board meeting in uh, New Orleans. I serve on the board of the Southern Rail Commission as well. So I work for a financial firm. I sit on some boards and, you know, I'm still trying to figure out what I want to do when I grow up. Uh, Jack of many trades, many trades. Hey, I'll try. So I'm sure you get this question all the time, right? So, you know, Run for mayor, you essentially what's next, right? I'm sure people like, oh, then it's something else. Yeah, yeah. Do you think you'll go back into public service in in capacity like that? Yeah, I do get that question all all the time, one hundred percent. But and I'll I'll say this: I've already done that. I was the Democratic nominee for Senate here in Louisiana in 2021. So I've run for higher office already. You know, when I do something, I go 100 miles an hour. You look at my military career, look at my political career. So I've done that. And right now, I, I my very true answer to everybody that says what's next is I don't know. I do not. In my near future, I will not be entering politics. I can tell you I'm really enjoying my life right now. But also, it's not for just a selfish reason on why I'm not going back into politics immediately. It's a, it's a macro reason to it as well. And the macro reason is America is a joint project. This is a shared experiment amongst all of us. And if only a few of us that put on a uniform or that raise our hand to be an elected official are serving, uh, then this experiment will fail. So I don't want to be the guy that's just like the habitual, habitually running for office. I'm only in the public sector. Like that's just that's not going to serve me well or serve this country well. So I've dedicated a lot of my time now with my fellowship at University of Chicago and Stanford and um, even just a lot of my free time to encouraging the next generation of leaders to get out there and be bold. And even my own colleagues and people that are older than me, I want more participation in this democratic experiment. And I think that's we'll see better outcomes if that happens. But we're not there right now. That question comes up so often is because society is used to the elected official being the elected official and carrying that burden. And we need to break that, that mind frame. So you're looking for more civic engagement? 100%. That's what this this what this what period of my life is dedicated to and not the civic engagement just coming from me. I need, uh, you know, for the sake of all of us, we need to we need to figure out where we all fit in it. No, I agree more, especially during the times that we were operating in. Yep. Both globally and domestically. Absolutely. Uh, and so curious now that you're in this role at and focusing specifically on your time as a mayor, like, right, we all hear about that, but you know, interview too many mayors. What does that actually look like? A little bit of your undercover boss episode, 
Yeah. It's quite entertaining. Yeah. Man, what is it like being a mayor? I'm, you know, this is, you got a military background. I'm sure a lot of your viewers have military background. It is like company command times five or 10. And we know how difficult company command is. I still remember, you know what I mean? Waking up in Clarksville, Tennessee um, at 4.30 in the morning, having to get to the office early because I got to do work before PT start, leaving the office at eight because you really don't get to do work as a commander until after five. And being a mayor is much harder than that. Not just much harder than that because of the scale. And that's something very important for people to consider. Leadership traits transcend often, right? Like, if, you know, I lead by, whether you lead by example or, you know, you want to make sure you have a principle of, I'm not going to ask a subordinate to do something I'm not willing to do. Those things transcend scale. What does not transcend scale is management. So I went from a headquarters company commander before law school and my company could balloon to up to 200 people to a mayor of a 200,000 person city with over 2000 employees in three years without any management, you know, any management education or experiences because I was in law school. So being a mayor, the day to day is not really a day to day. I could there were some days when I spent a lot of time in the office signing documents, having meetings. And there was plenty of days when I might have been to my office 10 minutes because I was out interacting with constituents, pushing policies or initiatives that we had. So no, no, no day is alike, but you're always to tie it back into the analogy, you're always pursuing the mission of making the city of Shreveport better or your respective city better. So yeah, it's a very broad mandate and just kind of like everything that your unit does or fails to do falls on your back. It's the same thing in the mayor's office. It's just a much, much, much larger unit with you know just as much as state. And, and when you're managing a team, Given how, how large you manage budget yes. people employees, how do you keep your pulse on what and yeah. equal representation? Yeah, that's a that's a systemic problem in our political system is because oftentimes people that write checks are the ones that get the most attention. You're fundraising a lot. You really want to foster those relationships because the people that write checks not only write checks, but have a lot of influence in the community. So that is a problem. But the way that I just pushed back against that problem is I made sure to be very deliberate about getting to every corner of the city and making sure everybody saw me and that I was involved with everything, you know, whether that be, you know, uh, going to a Jewish synagogue for for their celebrations to going to what we have, uh, the one of the largest black neighborhoods in the United States here named the Cooper Road, you know, going to be the Marshall and Cooper Road USA parade that they have. You have to make sure that you are not in a bubble, not just idea bubble, but also like a demographic bubble when you have a city of 200,000 people that is quite a diverse city, racially, economically, religiously. So that's how I break out of it. It's something at the beginning that I want to hit on, on just like management style as well. For me to keep a good pulse on my team, period, because you have such a large team, for the first six months, I actually made sure all my department had reported directly to me. I wanted to understand what they were doing. I wanted to understand two levels down from me, not just my department heads, but their division managers as well, what they were up to so that I could understand the organization and I can maneuver the ship around. It's a really big ship when you're in the mayor's office. 
and diving into that experience that deeply over the first six months. I know I broke the military rule of, you know, three to five, you know, span of control, but it was a very important lesson that I needed to learn. I needed to learn my organization. So in coming out of that, I knew what departments needed work. I knew what departments needed extra attention. I knew what departments were kind of self-sustaining. I knew my stronger leaders, you name it. And that's how I was able to distribute my presence and my attention amongst my staff to be able to pursue my agenda. And so from here, I'd, I'd like to pin it a little bit. So, you know, you have this illustrious career. You're on all of these four. How did I get here? Yeah. How did, like, <laughs> is it like, hey, you know, after West Point, I was like, oh, maybe I think I'll go to politics. Yeah. I'm going to try my best. To, that's a really big question to say how I got here. How I, I've talked about my beginnings and how I ended up going to West Point. And I, in, I hinted at the fact that I wasn't this long-term planner when I was younger to say, oh, I'm going to West Point and I'm going to serve and I'm going to Harvard Law School. Uh, a lot of those things, the steps along the way came about along the way. I, when I was at Harvard, you know, to give an example, I was a summer associate at a firm. I got the offer to go to a firm. I just knew I was going to be a corporate lawyer. I happened to record a video that made its way back home and people from home were telling me I needed to come back and run for mayor. Uh, so that pushed me on a completely different path. Um, while I was in the mayor's office, I got a lot of opportunities to serve. The mayor sits on a lot of public boards. So while I was in the mayor's office, I sat on a lot of boards and at my transition out of the mayor's office, I'm no longer an elected official. So they gave me even more opportunities to sit on boards. So uh, a lot of this was not planned, but I will say if you do want to position yourself to be on boards one day or to do some of the things that I did, there are some principles to it. And the principles is to be a good person because reputation matters. You are asked to be on board by people that sit on board. So what your peers think of you, what your seniors think of you, your, you know, whether subordinates in a professional context, you name it, that matters. Another principle is work very hard, understand your craft to be on a lot of boards. They are looking for specific things, whether you are a government expert, whether you are a legal expert, whether you do sales very well or marketing. So make sure you understand your craft really well and you work hard and that'll help you in various other areas. So, you know, I, I wish I could tell you, you know, this that I drew out this map when I was 17 and here's the map. And that's how I've accomplished this thing. But how I've gotten here has been a combination of working really hard and and, and look, I would say being blessed. I'm a man of faith and I, I pray a lot. So God has done a pretty good job in looking after me. Uh, that There's no doubt. There's no doubt. And so based on that, how did you approach running for office, especially amongst the peer pressure, people that were confirmed or into high finance? Yeah. How did you feel like breaking the mold? Yeah, it's, it wasn't easy. To break the mold wasn't easy. It very much was a risk. Uh, the peer pressure you're talking about comes from your classmates at a school like Harvard that's like, what? You're not going to a, you know, you're not going to this firm or this firm or doing public interest or practicing law at all. So it's, it's very much a break from that norm. The There was economic pressures as well. I told you about my upbringing. We don't have a lot of resources in my family. And the type of money you can make at a law firm, you can very much leverage that to break generational cycles, uplift your family and, and, and things of that nature. So that was something else that I was sacrificing and going the public service route. So uh, I will say it was fortunate that I went to West Point, that I was able to rely on a post-911 GI Bill to help me pay for school it gave me the latitude to break out of that mold. Uh, so I wasn't 
beholden to be like, man, I got to pay back all this debt. I need to go to the firm or whatever. I had some latitude. And once I made that decision to break out of the mold, not go to the firm I referenced and go into the mill and go and run for office, the way that I approached it was like I approached, you know, anything. I knew I was going to throw my all into it. I relied on experts in the area. Uh, my campaign manager uh, was my best friend. My co-campaign manager was the campaign manager for the two previous mayors. So we had a depth of knowledge there. I knocked on doors every day to, to tap into the true source of political power, which is the people. I knocked on doors for three hours for nine, nine months every single day. So I just, I, once again, I worked really hard. I approached it by knowing I would work hard, by relying on experts and just giving my all. And um, yeah, it worked out for me. And in going through that journey, how do you maintain ability, right? You talked about your faith, yeah. but now you're at this point where you're on some of these, you're working for some of those positions. You know, your former mayor, your equity partner, all these things that are in such a stark contrast from where we, where you yeah. How do you maintain that touch? That's hard. Yeah. I'll tell you, once I was elected, I, I realized that I'm wired a little different than a lot of my peers in the political realm. And, and I mean by that is sometimes you'll see people get elected and they think that they're like the best thing walking, right? Like they become arrogant. They don't pick up the phone calls from friends or family that they once knew and you know, they, you know, it, it's, it's a, it's an odd thing to me. My response when I got in a political office was I had never been so humbled in my life. You know, if you approach the job and you want to do good at a job where you're managing, you know, you're leading a city of 200,000 people and you're managing all these people, like it is hard every single day. And I mean, the amount of knowledge that you have to have to be able to move that ship around is incredible. So it actually made me more humble jumping into the mayor's office on my capabilities, who I am. And also my faith just continually grounds me as well. I, it, it, my faith grounds me and my hometown grounds me. My, home, my, my faith grounds me in just making sure I understand that everybody is equal. Every human being is equal. Every human being deserves decency and respect. Uh, every human being deserves, despite our economy and things of that nature, deserves an opportunity to live out their life the best that they can. And that's how I approached office. Treeport humbles me because even if I go to a boardroom in New York City or I just love my board meeting in New Orleans, I come back home and I'm, you know, I still go to my neighborhood that I grew up in. I still play basketball with friends that I went to middle school with. And I have that reference point of where I come from all the time. You know what I mean? I still, you know, go and get food out of the neighborhood. I still volunteer. You know, next year I'm looking to serve on my neighborhood association board for the neighborhood I grew up in. So yeah, I just look for those those touch points to make sure I'm reminded of who I am, and I never get like too airy to be like, oh, I was, you know, I've, you know, speaking of Henry Kissinger just passed, like I've had dinner with Henry Kissinger and Mark Bloomberg and sit at the table with them, and you know, I can name drop all day, but it's not that's never important to me. What's important to me is what am I doing with those opportunities for other people, or what am I doing with those opportunities for the world. Yeah, we appreciate humility and you know, common veterans. For veterans that are making that transition or service members, do you have any recommendations on programs? Yeah, sure. I, and I'm going to rely. I'm a, I'm a steal for myself a little bit. I gave a speech at University of Chicago 
to a group of um, transitioning veterans that are part of an organization I sit on the board for. And the title of my speech was Meaningful Transitions. And the same advice that I gave to them, I'll give to the veterans out there listening today is make sure that as you're transitioning out, that you are approaching your next phase in a similar way you approach the army, I hope, or whatever, you know, service branch you came from, make sure you're throwing your all into it. And you're not as glued to a destination as you are on the journey itself. If you focus on the journey itself, the ups and downs, what you're learning from it, the people that you meet, that is going to make you grow as a person. So whatever, you know, whenever that next transition happened, whether it's when you want it earlier than you want it later, you get to bring that many more tools, that stronger of a network into that next phase of your life. And that will help specifically around schooling. And this, this kind of goes back to the advice I give young lieutenants who ask me about graduate school. I don't like to give advice to them. I tell them you need to be focused on being the best platoon leader you can be or the best second lieutenant you can be. You do not need to worry about graduate school. What you need to focus on is giving your all in that position, learning that position. And when you apply to graduate school and you need a letter of recommendation from the people you work with, then they can easily vouch for you. And you ain't on this crazy hunt and you ain't getting lukewarm letters of recommendation. If you threw your all in an undergrad, then you have a decent enough GPA. And if you threw your all into standardized testing, then you have a decent enough uh, LSAT score. But if you are are not, if you're so focused ahead and you're not focused on the task at hand and you do them poorly, it'll trip you every time. So carrying your reputation for reputation carries with you guys. Yeah, 100%. So based on that, you know, you've shared a lot of great nuggets on the lessons that you learned. Curious on what do you feel like is, is one of those that you build your abilities that you the military into into public office? Yeah, two things about my military experience, and I'll talk about grad school and I'll talk about public office. And and most people know this. Your military experiences when you're applying to grad school are gonna be very different from your peers. They they jump off the page. I've sit on you know admissions committees and various higher education academic institutions. And they jump off the page. However, you still need to make them relatable to whatever graduate school you're applying to, business school, law school, whatever. You still need to make it relatable. And you still need to make sure your other areas are covered. Like I said, GPAs, you know, uh, standardized test scores. Don't just be like, oh, I'm a military veteran and feel entitled and don't have that humility and think that'll get you across. That's not going to get you across the finish line or at least to the degree in which you want. The, the things that I learned from the military that I took in the public office, I hinted at earlier when I talked about leadership transcends, you know, scale. When I was in, quick example, when I was in Iraq, as a platoon leader, we went out to a joint security station. And the first week at the joint security station, my platoon, we were patrolling. The other platoon had joint security station security duty. So what they did, they had to pull security of the compound that we were in. Well, the first week that platoon had two or maybe three soldiers get Article 15s for falling asleep in the tower. So when I was hearing about this, I'm like, man, that cannot happen to my platoon. I love my guys too much. But overall, like massive security vulnerability, right? Liability where you got people falling asleep in, in the tower. So I was thinking to myself throughout the week, what can I do? And once again, I relied on, hey, don't ask your soldiers to do something you won't do and lead by example. So 
even after working full days, I would still go up into the tower with my soldiers in the middle of the night to two, three, four o'clock in the morning and pull security with them. I would check on them. And them see, I mean, every time they were super surprised that I was up there, super grateful I was up there. I got to know them better. And I was exhausted. But I mean, it's a week, right? And the stakes are that high. And we had zero infractions. Nobody had an Article 15. Everybody, um, you know, did their duty. Fast forward to when I was in the mayor's office, we had a winter storm that we hadn't had in 100 years. It was the coldest in Shreveport had ever been. Water pipes breaking everywhere in the city. 30 plus thousand water customers without water. Coldest temperatures recorded in like 80 plus years. You name it. People are going crazy at their houses. No water. You name it. Freezing outside. But my crews were out there working, repairing the water pipes in the middle of the night, freezing temperatures, you name it. So what did I do? I can't have my people doing something that the stakes are extremely high without them seeing their boss. So I went out and I didn't fix water pipes. I don't have that capability. But I went out there in the middle of the night to various points where they were repairing our water system and struck up conversation with them, you know, watched them do their jobs. Uh, thank them for the work that they were doing. And, you know, the praise that I got back was incredible. And that's something that that's something that I'm not sure I would have known to do had I not had the experiences that I had in the military. I think that's that's amazing. We're in the midst of, of a lot of economic uncertainty, political yep. uncertainty, both at home and abroad. Uh, people are losing their jobs. There are a lot of conflict going on. As a leader, especially in, in that space and political office. What would you share with people as they navigate both the transition, but also yeah. people that are just uncertain and scared in general? Yeah, I would tell them, one, they might want to get off social media. Social media makes these things 10 times worse. You know, they are feeding us their algorithms are feeding us to keep our attention. And the things that keep our attention are oftentimes the things we worry about. It's not not that bad. You know, you can still be informed by picking up newspapers, magazines, things of that nature, and you don't have to jump into that. So it it might decrease the anxiety a little bit, but also just making sure you're living in a way that's true to what you like, your values and your purpose. And I, you know, let me let me expound on that a little bit more. If you graduated from law school and you didn't really want to go to a law firm, but that's what everybody was doing. And you end up going to a law firm and there's a downturn, you know, at that law firm, then you were like, you get laid off then you were out there looking for a job at this point. And you're not even, you don't even want to be an attorney, right? But that's the only job experiences that you, that you have. It's going to throw off a lot of other things going forward. And that uncertainty is there because you're like, oh, okay, what do I do now? But it had you pursued something that you wanted to pursue, and you know, even public sector jobs are just as vulnerable to layoff, you name it, then you at least can continue along your path of purpose, opposed to having to figure out, okay, how do I find a job and my purpose at that point? That is, you know, that's just gonna be too, too crazy. With the political uncertainty, get involved. Going back to just what I'm saying about civic engagement, get involved. And at the end of the day, if your candidate doesn't win or the country goes in another direction. At least you can lay your head in a pillow and say, hey, I participated. I did everything that I could. Sitting back and scrolling on your phone and being a, a keyboard warrior and an activist, that does not do anything. And President Obama has talked about this. You know, I, I tell you, that that doesn't do anything. That's not knock, that's not going out knocking on doors, encouraging people to vote. Um, that That is just a lazy, convenient way. And guess what? 
if the election doesn't go your way, you're going to have a lot of anxiety on, oh, what if at that point? So economically, pursue what you want to pursue, opportunities to open up. You know, my classmates jumped out of law school and made a ton more money than me. Um, but I, me and pursuing my purposes, you know, I have opportunities at this point to catch up, right? Politically, you know, get out there. Yeah, there's always going to be turnover in a democratic system. But as long as you're out there and doing what you, you know, participating, then however the however things may fall, you can still lay your head on a pillow and say, hey, I participated. This is the system that I live in. For you veterans, this is the system that I fought for. And this is where we are. I'm going to continue to push along my ideology and the things and the way that I want this country to be. Absolutely. Get comfortable with uncertainty. It's just this the world we live in. I'm, I'm I, you know, I hate to, you know, kind of have a cop out, but just get comfortable with uncertainty is life. Uncertainty is life. And then what, you know, make sure that you're actively engaged. Yeah. You know, on social media. No, yeah. I think those yeah. are very yeah. and, and, it's, and I'm being interviewed. I made it to this podcast. I'm being interviewed by you. And I lost my job in December of 2022. You know what I mean? So you just got to be prepared to roll with it. You say nothing's guaranteed, right? Two guarantees not for, for, for not not for no nobody. It's well, you know, especially not not normal people. I'll put it that way. You you were anything but normal, good sir. Given your amazing background, you, you've done all these amazing things. You can gain You share with our listeners any books or podcasts that you recommend, or other things that you're reading regularly that might help them to get better informed on civic issues or just better informed on how to navigate all of these transitions and challenges. Yeah, for sure. Let me, first of all, say that y'all should make sure you're tuned into this podcast and make sure you tell your friends to tune into this podcast. And Sean didn't even give me $10 to say that. If you're interested in, in leadership lessons, like tune in to podcasts like this, where you're hearing from normal people, peers, you name it, that are out there in the world doing great things. We're all normal. Uh, so make sure you're, you're doing that. My kind of daily schedule as I wake up and I listen to NPR and I listen to the Wall Street Journal. Uh, that gives me a take in 20 minutes on the economy. That gives me a take in 20 minutes on global affairs. While I'm doing it, I'm like, you know, or, or I'm sorry, right after I do that, I pray, meditate, stretch in the morning. And, and, and the stretching comes, I'm, I'm very physically active. I probably work out like five, six days a week. Before I go to sleep at night, the way that I wind down is by reading a book right now, or I just finished up Heather McGee's The Some of Us. I highly encourage people out there to, to pick that book up. I'm constantly reading, reading some book. The Color of Money is the book that I'm reading right now. A really good book about minorities and our fin current financial system and how minorities were historically excluded and where we are today. So but if I read a book every night, then I'm reading quite a bit of topics. And I want to rewind really quickly to tell the audience, I didn't read more than five books before I graduated high school as a senior, as a 17-year-old senior. I used spark notes, footnotes, whatever they're called, to get through all the way through high school. When I got to preparatory school, United States Military Academy Preparatory School, a good friend of mine recommended The Souls of Black Folk by W.E.B. Du Bois. And I fell in love with the book. And the reason why I fell in love with the book, it was the first time I was truly exposed to like African-American literature outside of Black History Month. And I mean, I just fell in love with it. And once somebody falls in love with reading, in which I did, I went out and bought a crazy amount of African-American literature books at that point. Zora Neale Hurston, 
you know, even uh, even Booker T. Washington, W.B. Du Bois is like, you know, intellectual nemesis, like you name it. Ralph Ellison can go on and on. Then being an economics major at West Point, by that point, I started to read economic books. So once that door is open on reading and everybody should be reading, it, it, it's profound the amount of knowledge that you can consume in the different areas that you can you can jump to. But even today as a 38 year old, like I said, I still listen to podcasts in the morning. I'm still reading books, multiple books at a time. You know, the the, the magazines that I read are The Economist. I read GQ as well. I got to stay up on the social stuff. But yeah, those are those are the, the the books that I read. But, you know, whatever it is, whatever your craft is, I encourage you to read books about that particular craft and get smart about it. Combination between current events, uh, finding your passion, reading, make sure you're well-versed, well-read on the issues and really. Exactly. And, and I'll even add something to, you know, my reading habits and my podcast habits about Two, maybe three weeks ago, I had three speeches to give within a six-day period on very wide-ranging topics. I had to give a speech in Delaware on healthcare's rising cost impact on local budgets. I had to give a speech in San Antonio, Texas, about what it means to be a post-9-11 veteran. And then I had another speaking engagement at the University of Chicago about whether or not the United States should continue to fund the Ukrainian war, all within five days. Very wide-ranging topics. And, you know, I I believe, you know, I did well, uh, well enough that people have wrote me since and told me what a good job I did, blah, blah, blah. But if you're not constantly consuming information about things, you and, and, and this is abnormal. I know everybody on this thing probably like, who wants to give three speeches about the, but if, if you're, that just gives you a flexibility in life that, you wouldn't have if you are just on social media or you're just watching TV. And if you don't have that flexibility, it takes away from your career opportunities. It takes away from opportunities in general for you. So yeah, just just a little bit more food for thought for those of you who are deciding, you know, what you want your reading regimen or podcast regimen to be. Well, Adrian, we really appreciate your time. You gave a lot of great information about leadership, leading in public office, and how you need to transition through all these amazing but before we let you go, we have two things to ask for you. So one, you know, if people want to learn more about your journey and things that you're working on, where's the best place? Yeah, I know I just pooped on social media, but now I'm going to say you can find me on social media. I'm on like Instagram and Facebook and actually my mayoral stuff is still up. That's where my like larger followings are. Um, and I'm about to combine my personal page with those pages so that, you know, everybody can just like keep track of my life. Uh, I still have my website as well. It's just my name, adrianperkins.com, where you can go in and that's pretty mayoral as well as focused on a lot of different policies. So there's a couple of different ways to find me. I, I, I will admit that not being in public office, I'm kind of enjoying the anonymity of, of stepping away. So so if you find a little hard to, to find me, that, that's the reason why, but you can find me if you jump on, on social media. So yeah, that's that's how they can stay in touch with the journey. You can always be an IG influencer. Hey, hey, nah, not not for me. I don't have the personality for it. I, I don't. And then uh, this season, we're also starting a new program called Each One Teach One, a part of our Each One Teach One program. And yeah. So one, you know, if you have any asks of our community, how people can help you what you're working on or oh. your journey in particular. Yeah, yeah, for yeah, for sure, man. I would ask the community to look into service to school. Whether you've been through the program, whether you're interested in the program, you know, or just know people that are associated with it, you know, uh, 
contribute. It's a nonprofit organization. We take donations. But what Service to School has done is put veterans into elite institutions that were very often ignoring veterans prior to. And it also informed veterans that were going to for-profit institutions uh, that were getting degrees that that was not equating in the market the way that they wanted it to, to get those veterans and encourage those veterans to apply to some some elite schools around the country. So we've, we're, we're doing what we can to mitigate that pipeline and really make sure veterans are in getting the resources and tools that they need to be able to go out and continue to be the best, their best selves in society. So for anybody out there, we'd love for you all to contribute uh, to service school. If it's not your treasure with money, we take ambassadors as well. They give our ambassadors help transitioning veterans, get into graduate schools, business school, law schools, you name it. So we'll take your time. But yeah, if, if you can, we would, we would love to have you. And on that note, we appreciate all that you do and all that you continue to do. Thank you so much. Now, I appreciate you, man. So, so grateful to be here. Sorry it took so long, but uh, looking forward to, to listening when this comes out. This was worth the squeeze. All works out.